It's a joy to be before you and to bring God's Word to us this morning on a very special Lord's Day. This is a special Lord's Day in that it is Reformation Sunday, the Sunday before October 31st. And that is the day that as believers in this century, we can celebrate what took place 500 years ago when Martin Luther nailed his 95 Thesis to the door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany, and made a stand for truth, made a stand for, uh, to correct the errors that he saw. Certainly every Lord's Day is special in that we can worship the living God according to his word and according to his example. Um, it is a day in which we rest and worship. It's the day that we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. And today we get to look at a topic that I think is probably meat and potatoes for many of you, justification by faith alone. And it's a joy to preach that gospel because that's really the heart of the gospel. But if you're here this morning and and that's a strange phrase to you, I invite you to look to God's word with us as we um, look at Romans chapter 3. Now, if you've been with us the last couple weeks, we've been going through a series called the Five Solas, and those are really the scriptural underpinnings of the Reformation that took place 500 years ago and things that, that we hold near and dear as Reformed believers in this day and age. We looked at sola scriptura, that scripture alone is the basis on which we build our faith. We looked at grace alone last week, uh, Pastor Greco preached that it is only by grace that we are saved. And this morning we're going to look at sola fide, faith alone. And then um, as this series continues, we'll look next, Fred will preach next week on Christ alone. And then in two weeks I'll have the privilege of preaching on the fact that all is done for God's glory, for the glory of God alone. So this morning as we... Um, take up this topic of faith alone and what that means. We want to consider the question, how can a man, boy, man, woman, boy or girl be made right before God? And that's the great question that Martin Luther wondered. How can a sinful man be made right before a just and a holy God? So let us look to God's word for this and every answer as we read it together. And before we read it, let me pause and ask God's blessing upon the reading and the preaching of His holy and inerrant word. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank You for Your word. It is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And I pray, Lord God, that it would pierce in and carve out the sin in our heart, Lord. I pray that by Your Holy Spirit, that You would apply Your word to our hearts this morning. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Romans 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. 
It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. But what becomes of our boasting? Is it, exclu- it is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Amen. And we praise God that he has spoken to us this morning in his holy and inerrant word. May he write its eternal truths on all our hearts. During my final year of seminary, I had the privilege of working with some men who were very experienced in sharing their faith. And they used a program that, that started out with two diagnostic questions. And maybe you're familiar with, with these questions if you've done this, um, this program. But it starts out by asking, <clears throat> if you were to die tonight, do you know you would go to heaven? And then the second question builds upon that and asks, if you were at the entrance of heaven and God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? And that question really puts it out there for people and it exposes what their trust is in. Are they trusting in their works or are they trusting in Jesus Christ? And as you might guess, you would get a variety of answers. Often people would say, well, I'm a pretty good person. I work really hard. I've tried to raise my children right. Or sometimes they would compare themselves and say, well, I don't do everything right, but I'm a lot better than a lot of people. And so it, it shows what their faith and trust is in. And usually it was some kind of vague hope that God would reward them for their efforts, for their works, however weak or frail those works were and tainted by sin. Often it was very evident that they were trusting in themselves and they had a very low view of God. They didn't see God as a God... That, was, that is perfect and holy and righteous and just. The God of Scripture is a God of love, but He is a God of justice as well. Martin Luther was a man who was very aware of these aspects of God's holiness and justice. Luther was a devout man. He was, he was a monk. He, he subjected himself to the rigors of monastic life, of prayers, much prayer and fasting, He knew of God's holiness and wrath towards sin. In fact, he contemplated these things so much that they somewhat consumed his mind. When he read of the righteousness of God being revealed in the gospel, as it says in Romans 1.17, he could only think of God's justice and wrath against sin. He said that he hated the righteousness of God. He even admitted he was angry with God. In so many words, he says, is it not enough? He asked the question, is it not enough that miserable sinners eternally lost through original sin are crushed by the law? And to them, God adds pain upon pain by the gospel threatening them with God's righteousness and wrath. He didn't see the the gospel as good news. He saw it as the hammer of God coming down upon wicked men. So he asked the question that we ask, how can man be made right with God? How can man gain the favor of the God who made him? Of course, Luther came to realize that that it is through faith in Christ that we are justified. This morning, I want us to look at that topic of faith and ask three questions of it to help us better understand it. One, what is faith? Secondly, what does faith do? And thirdly, why must we have faith? What is faith? 
Hebrews 1, 1, or, I'm sorry, 11, 1 tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is assurance. Faith is conviction. Faith is confidence, I think we can say from that verse and the whole of Scripture. But we have to qualify that. It's not just confidence in some vague something. It's not confidence in ourselves. It's confidence in God as God, as He has revealed Himself. We live in a culture where, it, where we are told to have confidence in ourselves. I don't know if you've seen the YouTube video of the young boy who had just learned to ride his bike. And, and he, was, he was happy with, with himself, as he said it. And his dad gave him the opportunity to, to kind of wax eloquent. So he stood up on the curb. He wanted to give this motivational speech. And this is what he said. He said, everybody, I know you can believe in yourself. If you believe in yourself, you will know how to ride a bike. And then he continued with this little speech. But that's not the faith we're talking about. We're talking about faith in God. We're talking about a faith in something bigger than ourselves. The world tells us that if we believe in ourselves, we can have anything we want. And unfortunately, this power of positive thinking kind of leaches into our understanding of salvation and our situation before God. But when we say that faith is confidence, it's confidence in God as God. Hebrews 11.6 says that he that um, without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. We have to believe in the, not just the existence of God, but in a God who has revealed himself, and he has revealed himself through his word. We have to recognize him as the creator and the sovereign king over all. Hebrews 11 goes on to give us that great hall of faith, if you will, of believers in the Old Testament and how they trusted God and took Him at His word. They knew God and they trusted His covenant promises. Abraham, Moses, Gideon, Barak, Samson, David, Samuel, even Rahab believed God. Even when these folks, even when they couldn't see or fully understand, they trusted Him. Faith is also confidence in Christ as he is revealed in the gospel. Christ as the one who brings salvation. Faith is confidence in him and his, in his promises. Secondly, we see that faith is an instrument. Faith is not an end in itself. It, it really has no merit on its own as a thing or as, as an object. It's, it's merely a channel in which we receive the grace that is offered to us in Christ. It's a, it's a means by which God's mercy and grace are brought to us. The Bible speaks of faith in relation to individuals, and we see that, that Jesus commends people for their faith and says things like, your faith has made you well, or your faith has saved you. We know that that is not a thing that they have worked up in themselves. It is as that faith is placed upon another. It's an instrument through which that person is healed or made whole. It is only through faith or by means of faith that we receive the blessings of God. It's a channel through which we are connected to Christ. Faith is that open hand that receives the blessings of God. It is by grace that we are saved through faith. Thirdly, we must recognize that faith is a gift. Well, why must it be a gift? Well, remember 
that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2 tells us. And as Fred asked us last week, what can dead men do? Nothing. We must be given faith as a gift. Ephesians 2.8 tells us that it comes from God. It says, by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Our text this morning tells us the same thing. Verse 24 says that we are justified by His grace as a gift. It points out that just as sin is a universal condition of all mankind, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, so faith is the instrument by which any of us can be made right before God. It's not that everyone will be saved, but anybody that is saved will be saved through faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. The whole thing from start to finish is a gift. God in His mercy from eternity past has elected some to everlasting life. Christ has lived a sinless life and paid the penalty for our sins. And the Holy Spirit effectually calls His children into faith. And the gift of faith is given to those. Grace, faith, and even repentance is a gift. We do possess faith. We are commanded to exercise faith. But the origin of that faith is from God, and it comes to us as a gift. We've seen that faith is confidence in God as God, as He is revealed in His Word. It's confidence in Christ as He is revealed in the gospel and the offer of salvation. It's the instrument that brings salvation. It's a gift. But what does faith do? Well, the first thing we can say is that faith saves. But we have to qualify that a little more to say that faith in Christ saves. And there's two ways that Scripture primarily talks about salvation. It talks about receiving Christ and believing Christ. Our text says in verse 25 that God put Christ forward as a propitiation to be received by faith. Now this term propitiation means to avert the wrath of God. Because remember, God is just. God is righteous and God hates sin. God is holy, and He is faithful to His character, which is all of those things that I've described. We, however, are sinful. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So how can this just and righteous God, who hates sin and is faithful to all His character and promises, respond to us sinners in a way that's gracious? It is only through Christ. It is through Christ as that propitiation to provide a way that we can be saved. It says in verse 26 that God is both just and the justifier. It is because Christ took upon Himself our sins and bore the punishment for those sins. Christ endured the wrath of God for us. Christ's work averted the wrath of God that was justly due to us. And this Christ is received by faith. And receiving Him has amazing benefits. John 1.12 says that to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become the children of God. Now, if you're like me and you've read that many, many times, you might just kind of gloss over that. You might say, oh, I memorized John 1 when I was 8 years old. And you might kind of yawn and and wonder the significance of it. 
But listen to it. What does it say? It says that we are made children of God. Receiving Christ adopts us into God's family. The Bible also talks about believing in Christ. And it's right there in John 1.12 as well. And we see it in, in Acts 16 where the Philippian jailer cries out in distress of soul and, and distress of circumstances as well. And he says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas answer with simplicity and yet such profundity as well to say, believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. That's what faith in Christ does. Faith in Christ saves. If you're here this morning and have not believed and received Christ as your Savior, I invite you, believe and receive Christ. Now you may ask, what about repentance? Aren't the twin graces of conversion, faith and repentance? That's certainly true. They are. But you know what? Believing in Christ means turning to Him. And when you turn to Christ, you should turn away from sin. It is turning to Christ and turning away from sin. So repentance is inherent in belief. Your life, if you are a believer this morning, your life should be marked by a turning from sin. Our catechism says it well. Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon Him alone for salvation as He has offered to us in the gospel. The very next question tells us that repentance as well is a saving grace, whereby a sinner out of a grief and hatred of his sin doth turn from it unto God and pursues new obedience. Sometimes it's, it's helpful as we think about this topic of faith to break it down into various elements. We could see that there is within faith, an intellectual aspect of it. It is knowledge. It is accepting and believing that man is a sinner and that Jesus came and died for sinners. That's an important part of faith. That, that confidence that we talked about and trust in believing God as for who He is, that's part of that knowledge. But that's not the whole of saving faith. There's also an emotional element. We might call this mental assent, where there's an agreement with the truth and maybe even a stirring in the heart, um, an, an emotional level. But, but even this is not enough. James says that the devils believe and tremble. So what is it that makes faith? What is it that completes this? It is that volitional element that, of our will that Louis Burkhoff calls the crowning element of faith. It is receiving and resting that we're talking about. It's giving up all hope of salvation in anything else that we can do. Any hope of saving ourselves in any way, shape, or form. It's that personal trust in Christ as Savior and Lord. It's seeing Christ as your only hope of salvation and the placing of all your hope and trust in Him. One has described it like this. If, if I were to be given a, a train ticket to Dallas, say... And I would have that ticket in hand, all right? That should get me there. And I might want to make sure that that train is, is secure and solid and in good working order. I could inspect it. I could uh, show up at the right time. I could even have maybe have a conversation with the engineer to make sure that he is capable of, of piloting that train. I might even, you know, just have really like the guy, all right? 
But those things in themselves are not enough to get me to my destination, are they? What do I have to do? I have to get on that train. I have to put myself, I have to put my trust in that train. And so it is with faith. We must cast ourselves unreservedly upon Christ. We must trust Him as our only hope of salvation. We see that faith in Christ saves. But we also need to notice that it is faith alone that saves. So why is it that the reformers insisted on that word alone being attached to faith? Well, of course, we know that they lived in a time when, when there was many things added. The church was corrupted in, in their doctrine and in their practice. <clears throat> the message of our text bears this out, that verse... 27 is a conversation that Paul is having with a hypothetical dialogue partner. And he says, what then becomes of our boasting? The redemption that is ours in Christ, can we boast in it? No. Boasting is excluded. We cannot boast because we have nothing to do with it. It only comes to us by grace through faith. Is it by works? Is it by our own efforts? No. Never. Verse 28 tells us that we are justified by faith apart from works. In other words, by faith alone. And that's really the whole message of Galatians. Paul sets out in very strong terms to correct the errors that the Galatians had fallen into. And he said, we read earlier, um, you know that a person is not justified by works, but by the law, through works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So these Judaizers in the book of Galatians, were, they, were, they had faith, but they were seeking to add to it. They were seeking to add to their faith with these other actions and, and keeping the law. And, and Paul says, no. He says, either you have to keep the law perfectly or don't even try. He says that you cannot place your trust in Christ plus works. It must be in Christ alone or in something completely different. Christ must be everything or he will be nothing. Either we trust him completely or we cannot say we trust him at all. As the great hymn says, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. So what does faith do? One could answer somewhat ironically, nothing. Faith receives and rests Upon Christ. It's simply giving up any hope and trust in ourselves, and it's casting ourselves upon Christ as He is offered in the gospel. Lastly, we want to see why must we have faith? We've kind of already danced around this question, we want to hit it head on now. Because we are justified by faith alone. Luther said that this doctrine of justification by faith alone is the doctrine on which the church stands or falls. It really is the heart of the gospel. Our text tells us that we are justified. We are made right before God and is received by grace through faith. Christ is the object of that faith. To be justified is to have all of our sins pardoned. Imagine with me, if you will, and this is a terrifying thought, to think that all of our life could be placed upon a screen in front of the world for the world to see. Every wicked thought, every evil deed, every cross or angry word that you've ever spoken, to have that known would be chilling to think of that. And yet to be justified is to have all of our sins pardoned. 
I call it the great exchange. Christ takes our sins upon Himself. He bore our sins. And in exchange for that, we receive the benefits of His righteous life. His perfect obedience to God's law. And that righteousness of Christ is imputed to us by faith alone. The Roman Catholics teach that the instrumental cause of justification is baptism. In other words, that which brings you into that state of being justified is an action that the church places upon individuals. The Reformers said, no, it is faith alone that is the instrumental cause. It is faith that makes us right. It's faith in Christ who completes the work in us. It is faith that brings us the benefits of Christ. The Catholic Church also teaches an analytical justification. In other words, they're saying that, that God somehow looks into man to see righteousness. And that's how he judges them. But Luther found out that it was not the righteousness that was in him. It was the righteousness of Christ that was imputed to him. Luther realized that the righteousness of God that is revealed in the gospel is not our own righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ, our sinless Savior, imputed to us by grace through faith. Luther said in a sermon, Through faith in Christ, therefore, Christ's righteousness and all that He has becomes ours. Rather, He Himself becomes ours. Such a faith is called the righteousness of God. All of the earnest efforts of Luther and of you and of me are never enough to make us right before God. It is only as the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us through faith. So how can sinful mankind be made right before a just and a holy God? It is only through that, through justification by faith alone, that Christ's righteousness is given to us. Not only must we have faith to enter the Christian life through our justification, but we also walk by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us, We walk by faith and not by sight. We live by faith. And that that passage tells us that this earth is not our home. And, And it reminds us that as we have been reconciled to Christ, we have a ministry of reconciliation to share the good news of the gospel with the world. And it ends with this glorious reminder in verse 21, which says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In another of his epistles, Paul says in Philippians 3, that his sincere desire is to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. He reminds us again that it's not his righteousness that's going to make him be found in Christ. It is through faith. That which comes through faith in Christ, he says, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And we press on toward the goal, as Paul says, towards the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And he looks forward, Paul looked forward to growing in his faith until he reached his heavenly home. Finally, I want us to remember those great verses from Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, where the author of Hebrews has just laid out this great exposition of faith and given us example after example of those who have walked by faith. And then he says in Hebrews 12, 1, Therefore, seeing we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with endurance 
the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Christ is the author of our faith, and he will complete it. My appeal to you is to look to Christ. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Luther said that it ought to be the first concern of every Christian to lay aside all confidence in works and through faith to grow in the knowledge of Christ Jesus who suffered and rose for him. We are not to focus on faith as an object. And we don't focus on justification, but we focus upon Christ. Look to Jesus this morning. Make Christ the object of your pursuit, of your affection. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and receive Him. If you've trusted in Him as your Savior, then you are knit to Him by the Holy Spirit. You are in Christ, but you continue to look to Him as the the one who will complete what He has started in you. Trust in Him. Look to Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this subject of faith and and that it is through faith that we are made right. But even faith is a gift and we thank you, Lord, that you have blessed us with this gift and blessed us with the blessings that we have through in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that if there's any here that do not know you, that they would put their faith in you, that you would give them the gift of faith and repentance, that they might believe and receive Jesus Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.